So we're continuing in our series, second week in the Everyday Church series. Last week, Charlie talked about everyday life in the margin. We talked a little bit about how the church in the West has, for the longest time now, lived underneath Christendom. We talked about Christendom, Christendom being that time where the government and the culture are kind of set by and copathetic with Christianity and its morals and principles. And so you can kind of count on in, in Christendom the government setting rules, regulations, laws, and the culture according to that which would be uh, in agreement with Christianity, right? And then we talked about how now for the first time the church in the West is experiencing these signs of coming out of Christendom, and it's kind of freaking out some Christians. Like, wait a second, I don't see how this is supposed to work. How can I live in a country where the government isn't uh, abiding by the laws of God? Right, And so that's causing some interesting things in our culture. But as we'll talk about later, and as Chuck talked about last week, there is nothing to fear about being in the margins with Christianity, about being pushed to the edge. Because historically, when the church is in the margin, it actually grows and thrives better there than in Christendom. In Christendom, it kind of sits on the couch and eats potato chips and gets lazy and dumb. Right? We'll get some more of that later. This week, we're talking about everyday community, and the title of the sermon is Everyday Community, Living Stones, and we'll get to that word picture in just a minute. I want to thank you guys for being here. Do you believe in the church? I mean, you're here, so I'm assuming you believe in the church, but do you really believe in the church, and do you understand what it is? My son and I, um, I read to him, I'd like to say every single night. But if I'm really transparent, it doesn't happen every night. But we read from his Jesus Storybook Bible as often as possible. And in there, it constantly refers to this thing called the secret rescue plan that God has. And the secret rescue plan was all about Christ dying on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven of those sins and to be seen as holy in God's sight. And then also, it talks about this idea, that, this crazy idea that God had called the church. And how together... Those things point the world to God. God has revealed himself to us through a few different things. The first of which is the word of God. You know, in the word of God, God shows us who he is. He shows us his character. All right? And the second thing that he has revealed himself to us in is the person of Jesus Christ. When God came to the world, became man, said the word became flesh, dwelt among men. Right? So he revealed himself through us through that. And then thirdly, as we're going to talk about today, God reveals himself to the world through the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. And it's something that God is very passionate about. Very passionate about. And just kind of setting the tone this morning, one of the things why that's difficult for us as uh, Western churchgoers is because we're kind of steeped in this thing, especially ever since the 60s and the Jesus movement that came out of the West Coast. And we've got a, a phrase for this, and it's called your personal relationship with God. If you'd have talked that way to a first century Christian, like when the church first got started, they would have looked at you like you had three heads. Personal? No, this isn't personal. We're in this thing together. Right? Now, your salvation is not dependent on other people. It's dependent upon you and Jesus Christ. And so in some ways, we do have a personal relationship with Christ. 
But one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how we've forgotten about the power and the impact of God's plan to save the world through this thing called the church and community. And I don't want you to confuse church with simply showing up in a building on Sunday morning because that's not the church I'm talking about. We'll get to more of that in just a second. This secret rescue plan, it should have been a movie plot. Maybe I'll make it a movie plot because it should have been one, okay? Because it's got, it's a love story. It is, uh, it's kind of like a rom-com. It's all about community and friends and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's all about um, a team, an underdog coming back from the brink of disaster and winning in the final moments of overtime and then it's also like an action thriller as well, right? So I thought about this week and I said, you know, the scripture that we're going to read today and really the whole story of the church is, is really like a combination of the notebook, friends, remember the Titans, and Rambo. And you roll those together and that's the story of the church. And so it, it's a blockbuster. It's the best plot that's ever been written. And so I'm excited to share with you a portion of scripture that sort of lines all that out for you this morning. We're going to be in First Peter again. For this whole series, we will be in 1 Peter. So if you want to put a bookmark in 1 <clears throat> Peter, put it there. Okay? 1 Peter is towards the end of your book. If you flip to the back and kind of come from the back forward, you'll find it quick. 1 Peter, and if it's any help, it comes just before 2 Peter. So it's, 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 it's right there towards the back. Okay? Now, the question is for us to answer today, why do I need to live in Christian community? Why? Why do we need to live in a community with other believers. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about why God literally designed it that way and how it's not optional. It is not optional. You're going to be really disappointed and you're going to be really embarrassed if you show up at heaven, right, and you got in by the skin of your teeth and you've received salvation, but you said, man, I just went fishing and golfing on Sundays, man, you know, because I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God with a fishing rod in my hand. And God will say, sorry, kiddo, you didn't read the same manuscript that I sent you. Because the community of faith is very important to God. Let's begin in verse 13 of chapter 1 of verse Peter. This is the end of the first chapter. Charlie covered the first portion of chapter 1 last week. And here's where that audience participation part is important. God's word is alive. Do you understand that? God's word is alive, and we're going to literally make it alive in you people today. You're going to become the scriptures, all right? And that's not that far off because Paul actually said in the letter to 2 Corinthians that you yourselves are our letter. So this morning, you're going to be part of the scripture. This is going to be one group right here, okay? So it seems really weird to be talking about unity and then I'm immediately dividing you in two. All right? But this is the first group and I want you to be verse 13. So you can start looking at verse 13 right now if you'd like to. And you guys are going to begin in verse 14 and I think you're going to go to what, what are we going to? 19? Yes. You guys are verse 14 through 19. Okay? Verse 13. Verse, I know you guys got gypped. You get one verse, right? And they get so many. But yours is powerful. Okay? So, Read along with me here, verse 13, and let's go to group one. All right, group one. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? Now, be serious. Now, for some of you guys, that, that, that is not hard. Most, you know, that's how we look. We got no sense of humor. We're serious. Right? That's not the kind of serious it's talking about. Okay? The kind of serious that it's talking about, um, in some versions, that word serious is actually written as uh, self-discipline. Self-discipline. And the way to get, anytime you look at a word in your Bible, and you're like, that kind of seems out of place. Remember, context is king. Look at context. So look at the verse preceding this, the words preceding it, and the words preceding or coming after that, and we'll see there what this word means. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, that's great pretext there, come in before it. Be serious, right? Be self-disciplined and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is it talking about there? Group one, this is what it's saying. Bottom line, it's saying be the gospel, be all about the gospel. That's what it's talking about. It's saying that This group of people over here, you guys, you understand that you are not going to live on planet Earth forever. That you have a limited number of days here and you're not promised a single one past today. Right? And so because of that, you take your time on Earth very seriously. Be serious. Be ready for action. What's the action you're ready for? You're ready to share the gospel with people. You are ready to tell them the reason for the hope that you have. Right? And what's more importantly, you're ready to live like that. You're ready to live like if you were to die tomorrow, it doesn't matter because that's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you, right? Because you're going to be with the Father in heaven. And let me tell you about my Father, all right? That's being ready for action and your hope set completely upon what? You, uh, the grace being brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning when Jesus comes back or when you die, whichever comes first, right? That's you guys. You got it? So your kind of um, fight theme for today is... Be the gospel. And I want you to say it one time nice and strong. Ready? Be the gospel. And you're going to say that a lot, so be ready for that, okay? Group number two. All right, you guys get a big, chunky mouthful, and we're going to have to kind of paraphrase it and condense it and make it easy to understand. But let's look at verse 14, and let's begin reading in verse 14. Here we go. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy. In all of your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, yours is kind of a two-part, and that's the first one. There's one word that kept being repeated. What was that word? You guys are top of the class. Yes, holy. Holy. And it's it's giving you an action. It's saying, be holy as your Father is holy. Right? So that's step number one for group two. All right? Let's continue reading in verse 17 now. And if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during your time of temporary residence. Okay, now it's not talking about like being scared of people around you. Remember last week when we talked about all these people, they're on the margin. They're being persecuted by the people around them that aren't part of the church, right? And so they're, they're pushed off to the side. They're being ostracized. They're being ridiculed. They're being persecuted. And, it, and it's not saying be afraid of them. Look at the context. Who is it saying that you are to be in fear of? Somebody. God, right? And not like, no, I'm scared of God. No, but it's this holy fear of God. It's saying, man, I know that my father is the one who judges impartially based on my works, right? So when I stand before him and I give an account of my life, I want to be able to say, man, God, I did what I could. You saw. You did what I could. I know that you see everything. And I I gave my life to you, and I gave my life away to others. Okay? 
So that's really the main gist of this. If you're in group two, you want to be holy, right? And you want to work for the Lord. You want to serve the Lord. Okay? And you're doing that for two main reasons. And that's where if we keep reading uh, in verse 18, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without defect or blemish. And so, guys... You want to live holy lives, and your motivation for living holy lives is twofold. Number one, you were redeemed from your old way of life, and it cost God an awful lot to do that for you. And what did it cost him? It cost him the life of his son on the cross. So out of gratitude and in recognition of the magnitude of God's sacrifice, you're saying, I'm going to live and be holy for you, God. Right? And then the second reason that you're going to do it is a little more practical. It's just saying, man, God evaluates my life, and when I stand before him, I want to be able to give a good account. All right? So I love him, and that's one reason I'm wanting to live holy. I appreciate what he did. The second reason I'm doing it is because God evaluates my life, and he looks at me, and I'm going to have to give an account. Okay? But the main thing I want you to remember is that you are to be holy. That's what Peter is saying. Be holy. And he gave you some motivation for it too. Right? So this is, this group is what? Be the gospel. And this group is? Be holy. Now, if you're taking notes... Your first two fill-in-the-blank sections for your notes. Group one, we are called to live in light of the gospel and to what? Share it. Called to live in light of the gospel and share it. And then group two, your fill-in-the-blank says, we are called to reject our old life and live a what? Holy life instead. Okay? So Peter's laying out some stuff here, and hopefully... These two groups, y'all have got the idea. Be the gospel and be holy. And we have reasons for that. And he gave you those motivations. And then he says in verse 22, read with me and tell me if you see your group mentioned here kind of condensed in verse 22. By obedience to the truth. Oh, well, right then and there. Who is that? The truth. That's the word of God. That's the gospel. That is you guys. By being obedient to the truth and group two, do you see yourself here? Having purified yourself, okay, so he's kind of condensing what he's already said, all right? Being purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, back up. For sincere love. Well, wait a second. If, if I'm already being the gospel and living a holy life, haven't I already loved the brothers? But it says, I'm doing this for, or we could say, so that you love your brothers and sisters around you from a sincere and pure heart. Okay? What is Peter saying? What is he getting at here? Okay? What he's saying is that until you learn to live in light of the gospel, Peter's making an argument here. He's saying, until you learn to live in light of the gospel, live like tomorrow's not promised. Live like you love God. You love what he did for you on the cross, and you love the good news, and you love to share that with other people who are dying around you, literally, every day. You don't know how to love your brothers and sisters right. You certainly don't know how to love like Christ. And if you're not living holy, if you're not trying to grow into the likeness of the Son of God on a daily basis, right? Even if you try to share the gospel, your life is often compromised 
because of the sin in your life. So nobody's going to listen to you. You're not going to be able to love people. You're not going to be able to share the gospel because your life isn't holy. And not to mention, you're usually separated from God during that time. You're, you're pulled away from his Holy Spirit because of sin in your life. So Peter's saying, until you learn to be the gospel and be holy, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know how to love like Christ loves until, you've, until you're here. You understand? You see what, what, what Peter has done there, what he's set up? Okay, so he's basically saying, be ready to share the gospel with grace, that's group one, and purify your life, group two, so that you can love each other like Christ loves you. Right, and remember that God is watching and he's given you so much. Now go and do likewise for one another. That's what Peter is saying at the end of chapter 1 there. Our current study is based on the book, Everyday Church. Um, I told first service, this is based on a book. You can Google this and order it on Amazon. If you got Prime, which is great, by the way, get Amazon Prime. You can get it here in two days, right? This book, it's, it's what I call a pinky book. When I lay my finger next to the book, if the book is thicker than my pinky, I think really seriously about whether or not I'm going to order that thing or not. But if it's about that size, I'm like, man, I can do that. I can read that. Um, and so I encourage you to get it. It's a good read. Here is a quote from that book. It says, The Christian community is not a happy byproduct of our salvation or a convenient help to individual Christians. I'm going to stop right there. The Christian community is not a happy byproduct of our salvation. In other words, just because you've given your heart to Christ and decided to follow him does not mean now you're automatically going to be in community with other, other believers. Okay? And then he says, and it's not a convenient help to Christians. It's not just a group that you check in with every now and again when you need something. It's not what he says. He says, we have been saved to be God's holy people, to be Christ's bride, to be a new family. To be a new family. If you're taking notes this morning, here's your next fill in the blank. Basically, guys, we have been saved by love for Love. Let that sink in, because it's really simply put, but we've been saved by love itself. God is love. For love. We've been saved by love so that we can love others. It was given to us so that we might know what it is to give it away to other people. And you can't do that walking around like a lone ranger separated from the body of Christ. You just can't. You just can't. Let's go to chapter 2. Let's see what else Peter has to say on this. Okay, so the question is, what does the text say next? And this is what it says in chapter 2. So, now listen, listen for your groups, because you're going to hear something cool here. This is so cool. God's Word is so cool. The more you study God's Word, the more you see stuff like this in it. It's really neat. Okay? Verse, chapter uh, 2, verse 1. So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Well, who is that? Which, 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 which group is that? Be holy. That's you guys. Okay? Well, didn't he just talk about this subject? Well, now he's talking about it again. And then it says... In verse 2, like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Be the gospel. Who, Man, somebody was chiming in, man. I'm so proud of you. 
Well, you were here during first service. It doesn't, that doesn't count. All right. Desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it. All right. I talk, talked about my uh, almost two-year-old son, Jonathan, during first service. I'm literally terrified of our grocery bill. He's two. And like, it's not uncommon at all. For bre- Some of y'all have seen him eat. For breakfast, it's not uncommon at all. Two eggs, a couple slices of bacon, piece of toast, milk, juice. And by the way, what's on your plate, Dad? Pancake. And he's like this tall. I literally have no idea where it's going into his body, but he is taking it. He is ingesting it, and it is becoming part of him, and he is growing from it. Like infants desire the pure spiritual milk. And I'm convicted by that because there's many days I don't desire this. But I make sure to feed my face three times a day. And then I wonder, why am I not growing like I should be growing, right? Let's move on. You guys got the point, all right? It says... uh, Desire that pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Now, what it's talking about there is not that you, by knowing God's word that you're saved, it's not talking about. The word of God is clear. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay? The salvation it's talking about is grow by it for your salvation. It's talking about as you're growing, the things you're doing, the works of service that you're doing are increasing. And when you stand before God at your salvation day, if you will, you're there before him and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what it's talking about there. So it's again saying that same concept of I'm doing these things because God evaluates my life, right? Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, okay? So basically, let's paraphrase this first section of chapter two. And we have it up here. Let's paraphrase it. It says, reject the former life and begin growing a holy and purified life. Focused on the gospel of Christ, be the gospel, woohoo, so that you can love others well and will be rewarded for your growth as God evaluates your life. That's kind of a paraphrase of chapter 2, 1 through 3. Okay? Now, Peter has just said, what, what is Peter doing? Why is, the question is, why is Peter repeating? Because he said that at the end of chapter 1, now he's saying it again in chapter 2. And guys, if you study your word of God, what you'll understand is whenever God does this, whenever the word of God does this, it's, it's kind of like, The Bible is grabbing you by the throat, it's pulling you close, it's opening your ears, and it says, pay attention. I've said it twice now. Those of you who have toddlers, you're feeling me, right? Pay attention. I've said it twice, right? Be the gospel and be holy, and there's really good reasons why you should be doing this, and here's a couple, right? Be the family of God. And then in, chat, in verse 4 here, he's going to lay it out for you. And we could stop right here, but we missed this beautiful word picture that, that he's going to use to stick with us today. A beautiful analogy. He says in verse 4, Coming to him, that's Christ, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are growing in our self-discipline. We're growing in the gospel and we're numbering our days well. We know we don't have another day. Group one, we are growing away from our old life and we're growing towards purity so that we can love like Christ. Group two, 
Christ is the living stone. And we too are living stones. And we get to that living stone part and we're like, Peter, I was following you. And then you just start calling us like an inanimate object. You start calling us living. How, do, how, how in the world does a stone live, Peter? Right? What are you getting at? What are you getting at, Peter? Take a look at this picture of uh, the Wailing Wall. Each one of these stones, this is in Israel. It's a part of, of the old temple. Each one of these stones was hand cut and laid in place. And look how the stones are different. They're varied. They don't look the same. And that makes it beautiful. They're not shaped the same. And that adds to its beauty as well. And notice how each one is butted up tightly and even mortar and stuff is placed in between, kind of like glue to stick them together. That's what the family of God should look like. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying each one of us are like a living stone. He already named Christ as a living stone. So he's saying we're like Christ. And if we're like Christ, we're like a living stone that's being built into a spiritual house, he says, right? And that house is for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we're nestled together, each stone supporting the one next to it, offering grace and truth to one another and growing in purity together. Guys, this is a, Peter's talking about the church of Christ. And he says that only together do we show the world the household of faith in the family of God. Only when we do those things, when we can love each other well, like he talked about earlier, do we show who the disciples are. John 13, 35 says what? We've got it up here on the screen. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The world's watching. When you love each other well in community like that, in purity and in sincere love for one another, the world sees and takes notice and says, I need some of that. Are you with me? Group one, be the gospel. Group two, be holy. Right? So that we can love like the living stone. Are you with Peter? Right? You see, when we love together and live holy lives together and invite the world into that together, something powerful happens. And here's what happens. God speaks to us through a lost and a dying world. That's the message the world needs. That's the message the world needs. And God speaks to us. He reveals himself to the world through that. Now, many, many of you guys have played this game before. Jenga, right? You know, oftentimes, we should be that wall tightly knitted together. But oftentimes, we don't do that. We make some mistakes. We remove ourselves from the body of Christ. And we remove ourselves from our community around us that needs to see the people of God. Seeking our own desires will skip church regularly instead of making fellowship with God's people a priority. Seeking our own selfish desires and sin, we let our marriages fail, our ministries and our families suffer while we pursue sin in our life. We got no holiness. Even some of the bricks that are there 
are weakened. They're compromised by sin. And so even the ones that are still in place, they don't do their job. They crumble under weight. Seeking vengeance and validation. We'll hold on to grudges and gossip. Seeking our own comfort, we'll ignore our neighbor who doesn't look, act, or vote like us. We'll, we'll only consider paying attention to and listening to and affirming that which already affirms our current point of view. We don't spend time around those that don't, when often the, the ones that don't are the ones that need to be around us. Seeking acceptance in more numbers in the church... On Sundays, we'll water down our message, we'll compromise the gospel because we're high on entertainment and we're low on challenge and growth. Last thing we want to do is make anyone uncomfortable. Seeking our own agendas, we've ignored the needs of the church and our neighbors and told ourselves, somebody will fill that goal. Somebody else will volunteer and fill that spot. Somebody else will talk to that neighbor. Somebody else will serve that neighbor. I don't need to do it. Somebody else will do it. We remove ourselves from the community or from our church. And we end up being a structure that's not so stable anymore. As a church, we've built million dollar facilities and spent money on that temple, but the real temple of God, the one Peter's talking about here, the one that Christ died for, us, the family of God, will oftentimes languish. And look like that, with holes all in it and weakened and compromised structure. Or it weakens the family of God. And eventually, it crumbles. Eventually, it falls apart. You know, an interesting thing here, real briefly, a little bit of a history lesson on architecture. When these stone buildings were built, they were often cut from a quarry, usually a great distance away. And they'd go to that quarry, and the architect would be there, and he'd say, I've got these exact blueprints. Is anybody here an architect or work with blueprints? Yes, no? He would say, man, okay, we're going to cut one right there, and it's going to go exactly here on my design, and so I need it cut just so perfectly. No, not like that. I want it just like, yes, perfect, just just like that, and we're going to number that B36. That's going right next to B37. And he would number this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stones cut intricately and beautifully. And then they were transported to their spot, and when it was erected, everything was put right in its place, right where it's supposed to go. The architect knew what he was doing. And folks, hear me this morning. God made you and shaped you exactly the way he wanted you to be made exactly the way he wanted you to be shaped, gifted you exactly the way he wanted you to be gifted, and he has placed you into a community of faith, into a place in time in history. And if you remove yourself from it, that's what our communities and churches are destined for. An unstable structure with holes all in it. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God's church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be unstable or untrustworthy, scattered, divided, unholy, ineffective, and by the way, by the world, unwanted. But a family knit together, closely, supporting one another, 
looking after one another, being patient with one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, moving past our differences and hurts, and even loving each other in spite of those differences and hurts. That kind of love speaks worlds, volumes to the world around us. And people want into that. They want to be a part of that. But a scattered and a divided and an unholy, judgmental place, the world doesn't want anything about that. A structure should speak to the glory of the God it represents. And that's our job, to be holy, to be the gospel together and be a picture of who God is to the world. There's a temple in Priene, Turkey. It's not far from, from Ephesus. And that temple at one time was one of the most magnificent structures ever built. The marble artwork that was here is still considered some of the finest art, period, in the world. They've since removed it and taken put it in museums. It's gorgeous. Right? But the temple fell down and fell apart because well, people stopped caring about it. And sometimes I wonder, when God looks at the church, what does he see? Does he see a glorious structure, strong and healthy and knit together and supporting one another? Or does he see scattered stones? And what can we do about that today? Guys, never forget that who you are, where you live, your talents, your giftings are no accident. God did it on purpose. And he put you where you live on purpose. And it's not for you to remove yourself from your community or from your church body. To do so suggests that you know better than God does. If we'll go all in together and love one another like the living stone, the world will be drawn to it. People will be drawn to the church and say, what must I be do to be saved? People flock to it. That's what the first century church, that's how it grew. That's how it changed the world. Don't forget, when after Christ died, Christ's people were persecuted like crazy. They were ostracized and pushed to the sides of the community. People talked poorly about them and whispered about, there go those Christians. Right? And somehow they went from that to the dominant religion in the world. And they didn't do it just because they had a message of salvation. Every other religion promised salvation. Do you understand that? The very same people who laughed at them and ridiculed them eventually saw their love for one another and their holiness together. And they said, my world doesn't have that and I want that. And that's the same message our world needs today as we become more and more marginalized and pushed to the side as a church. Together we can change the world, guys. We're going to take two in just a minute. Have a look at your connection card, okay? And when you look at that card, you're going to see some things in there about how you can get involved. You're going to see a line for prayer requests, how you can ask for prayer. And I just want to touch on a few things that you might be able to do if you're not already doing them. A few things to consider. Number one, Sunday morning. Folks, make, make Sunday morning church a priority. That should be the first thing in your schedule. You say, I'm going to be there Sunday morning. Everything else gets filled in on the calendar line after that. I will be there to be a part of my family. Right? Make it a priority. Number two, um, service opportunities in the church. Okay? 
There are things that the church needs to do that it cannot do because people don't show up like they should or give like they should. Right? And if you'll do that, fill those needs. God's structure will grow great and glorious. Thirdly, a community group. Okay, this is a, a, like a much smaller church that, that, that meets during the week, a group of like 6 to 12 people. These are people who will become your family and will love you, check in on you, help you grow. Okay, Make it, get involved in one, attend one, or lead one. We have groups growing so fast that we don't have enough leaders to lead new ones. Right? We need leaders to lead new groups. La, uh, one more thing. Uh, live holy. Okay? Purge, purge your life of sin. Give the world no, no reason to look at you and, and say, if that's what your God is, I don't want it. Don't discredit your own witness with an unholy life. Serving in your community. There are ways for you to serve in Georgetown that can make a big difference where the world can butt up against you and rub shoulders with you and go, man, I like what I see. How can I get that? And lastly, owning your neighborhood. I don't mean like, you know, buying up all the properties around you. What I mean by owning your neighborhood is when you look at your street, do you say, man, God put me here and there's people here who need Jesus. And I don't have to be a genius to figure out if God put me here and I have him and I'm saved by love, for love, it's my job to love these people. Right here, this is my first mission field right here. Deepwood Drive, that's my street. Deepwood Drive. I own that. God, how can I serve there? How can I love those people? Okay? Think about those things as, as we take two. Maybe write something down. My next step is, God, I'm going to do this this week. I'm going to take a step in direction of one of these. Okay? Let's take two.